Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good to see everyone here today. Well, we are now starting our journey towards Easter. Easter is not next Sunday, but the next Sunday. So next Sunday is Palm Sunday, but that's what we're going to be talking about today because next week we're going to be talking about Good Friday. But today we're talking about when Jesus entered Jerusalem for Good Friday. So our passage today is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. And Jesus is just entering Jerusalem five days before Passover is celebrated. So that's kind of the background of our text. So starting in verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet Jesus was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after Jesus. So I know I've told you some of this story before in Bible study, but for the rest of you, I'm going to make sure you get to hear it too. One time when I was growing up, for some reason, my family was in Oklahoma. And this was before we had iPhones, and so you couldn't just follow Google Maps or whatever you wanted to to get home. So ultimately, my dad was driving our family back home, and we, we said, Dad, are you sure you're going the right way? You seem a little bit lost. And dad said, no, I've, I've, I've got it. I'm good. And then, Dad, it's been a long time. We should be in Texas by now. Are you sure you're not lost? No, I'm not lost. I'm, I'm good. And then we see a sign that says, Welcome to the birthplace of Bill Clinton, Arkansas. <laughs> and we said, okay, you're lost. We're in Arkansas. So we all get lost from time to time. But did Jesus pull up to Jerusalem saying, Oh, Jerusalem? Oh, I meant to be going the other way. No, Jesus was not lost. Jesus, his whole ministry, everything has been leading up to Jerusalem. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew why he was going. And when he got to Jerusalem, it was on purpose. Why? Because in Jerusalem, 
is where the cross is. And in Jerusalem is where his future grave is. But right now, Jesus has just entered, and we call this the triumphal entry. It probably says that in your Bible if you look at the heading above this passage. So basically, this is what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. We celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. But what else did Jesus enter into? He entered into something deeper when he entered into the earth and when he entered into Jerusalem, when he was going to go into what he came in here for. What was Jesus really entering during the triumphal entry? Well, we can see it pretty clearly in this passage. Well, the first thing that Jesus enters in our passage today is that Jesus enters our expectations. Jesus takes on and enters our expectations. And the crowd certainly had expectations of Jesus. What was, this, what was the crowd expecting of Jesus? That's the question. What do they expect of this guy that's riding in on a donkey? Well, they communicate what they expect by their words, and they communicate it with their actions. So what do their words say? Well, their words, they say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. What does that even mean? What are they even saying? When we look back in their context, we can get a better idea. What did Hosanna mean? Well, it was a word that originally meant save now. It literally, literally meant save now. It probably had lost some of that meaning. And it, by that time in the first century, it was probably just a cry of adoration and praise. But still, it meant save now. And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. What are they saying? They're saying, save now. You are the king of Israel. Now, there's no king of Israel at this point. But they're saying there should be one. And it should be you, Jesus. You should be in charge. You are the king. You should be king. We've been waiting for a king. God promised us that a king would sit on David's throne forever. Jesus, you're that king. Jesus, save now. And they communicated that with their words. What did they communicate with their actions? Well, they cut off palm branches. Now, what does that communicate? Palm branches, they represent victory. They represent kingship. So what are they doing? They're basically telling Jesus, you're the king. Save us now. You're the real, true king. That's their expectation of Jesus. So they had expectations of Jesus. And how did Jesus transform those expectations? Well, Jesus transformed their expectations by giving them hope. He let them do this. He let them cry this out. He let them wave these palm branches at him. He was basically saying, yes, I am the king. And he didn't just say that by allowing them to do that. No, he communicated that by riding in on a donkey. So Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it alludes to it in our passage today. It says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The scripture is pointed to a king coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So what is Jesus doing? 
when he rides in on a donkey, he's basically saying, I am your king. I am the king that has come to save you. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, turn with me, if you will, to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But he might as well have when he rode in on a donkey. When we say, why did Jesus do that? Well, that's why Jesus did that, because he was saying, hey, I am the king that has come to save you now. So Jesus is meeting their expectations with what? With hope. Yes, I'm finally here. I've come to give you hope. And what else does Jesus enter into? Jesus enters into our confusions. Now it says in verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So why are they confused? Why are they confused about this? Well, we have to think about what their expectations were of Jesus. What are they expecting of Jesus? Jesus is going to be the king and he's going to save us. But that looks a little bit different in their minds than it does in our minds looking back on it. Why? Because Jesus Jesus is going to be the king. How? Well, he's going to go up to Caesar and just shove him off the throne, right? And Jesus is going to save us. How? Well, he's going to fight all the Roman soldiers and overthrow them, right? Well, no. If that was Jesus' goal, then... Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a war horse. But what does the next verse in Zechariah chapter 9 say? It says that he will cut off the war horse from Jerusalem. But they're not getting that right now. They don't understand that Jesus is coming in and saying, I am the Prince of Peace. Colin G. Cruz in his commentary on the book of John, he puts it this way. He says, in conscious fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey to show he was the king of the Jews, not the militaristic Messiah of popular expectation, but the universal prince of peace. Jesus, now is not the time to be the universal prince of peace. You're supposed to restore Israel. You're supposed to make things go by the back the way they should be, Jesus, lose the donkey. But Jesus was saying, I didn't come here to declare war on Rome. I didn't come here to declare war on Caesar. I came here to declare war on something much deeper than that. Now, that doesn't excuse the horrible things that the Romans are doing to them. That doesn't excuse that if you walk for miles and miles and miles, Your entire view is people on crosses. That doesn't excuse that. But Jesus is saying, I came here to declare war on the evil beneath the evil, the evil at the root of the evil. I've come here to declare war on sin and death. That's what I'm here for. But they're still very confused by this. They don't understand it. And Jesus doesn't... (coughs) explain it to them explicitly. But Jesus knows that one day, if they stick with him, they'll be able to make sense of this. They'll understand. When God's Holy Spirit comes on them and helps them to understand this, they'll understand. But God comes into their confusion. 
Jesus, in other words, can handle, can take their confusion. He doesn't have to give them all the answers all at once. He knew that one day, if they stuck with him, they would understand. It would make sense. But right now, it doesn't. But he also entered what? Jesus entered their curiosity. And that's what he does for us, too. He enters our curiosity. So keep in mind that this is Passover. So Jerusalem is packed with people. So why are people coming to Jerusalem for Passover? Well, they're trying to be purified. Just before our passage, it says that the people came to Jerusalem. Why? So that they could be purified, so that they could celebrate the feast of Passover. They can't celebrate it without being purified. So Jerusalem has a ton of people in it. We may say, okay, how many people were in Jerusalem at this time? Well, we don't know. But we do know that a first century historian named Josephus reports that at one time they did take account of the people that came into Jerusalem for Passover. And he says that when they took account for that particular Passover of how many people there were, the numbers present reached 2,700,000. That's a lot of people in one area. So when Jesus is riding in on this donkey and people are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Is this in secret? No, there are a lot of people who can witness this and see this. And they're curious. What's going on here? Who is that that people are waving palm branches at? Who is that that's riding in downhill on a donkey? The crowds developed more crowds because a lot of people were there because they had just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They just saw him call Lazarus out from the grave. Now, that was at Lazarus's home in Bethany, which is only two miles away. So, of course, they followed Jesus here. And so the people who are curious about Jesus are meeting other people who were curious and are still curious about Jesus. And they're saying, who is this guy? And so they're saying, oh, well, this is the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, Lazarus, you remember when he died? We know he was dead. His body was stinking up the tomb, but now he's alive. Jesus just had a meal with him and Mary and Martha and Bethany. So people are wanting to see Jesus. And our text tells us that people were coming to meet Jesus because these people were telling other people who he is. In other words, these people were curious. They were made curious by Jesus and what he had done. And sometimes we make the assumption that people are not curious about Jesus. People are just not curious about Jesus. They must not be curious. But how could they not be curious about Jesus? How could you not be curious about a man who raises another man from the dead? How can you not be curious about a man who gives sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute, who raises people from the dead? How could you not be curious? Erwin McManus, who I mentioned before, who's a pastor in Los Angeles, he talks about when he became a Christian, 
When he became a believer, he says one of the first things he did was he went back to the Christians that he grew up with. He went back to his old pastor who he lived next to. And he said, hey, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? And he said, well, I told your brother. And he said, no, so that's not me. And he said, oh, we told your sister we took her to vacation Bible school. And he said, so you didn't tell me about Jesus when he said, I just, you know, I assumed you weren't interested. I just assumed you were on a different path. And he went to his young life group that he went to in high school. And he says, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? And they said, well, we were just afraid that we would scare you away, that we would drive you away. And of course, he talked about the, the one person who did talk to him about Jesus, who, of course, he was offended by when he first heard it, but it worked on his heart and eventually he became a pastor. But we so often just assume people are not curious about Jesus. But in our passage, we see millions of people curious about Jesus. And today, that's a tiny fraction of how curious people are about Jesus. And even if they aren't, if they knew what he had done, then they would be curious about Jesus. And Jesus can handle our curiosity about him. How could you not be curious about Jesus? We can't just assume that people aren't curious because at one point, we were curious about Jesus and wanted to meet him as well. And we were able to because people told us, hey, that's who Jesus is. He's, he's done this in my life. He's done this in this person's life. And that's what was going on at this feast. That's what was going on at the triumphal entry. So at the end of our passage, we see in verse 19, we see the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees have been planning to kill Jesus. They've even been planning to kill Lazarus because they're afraid, hey, Rome is going to see everything that's going on and they're going to take our country away, which of course is not true, but that's their fear of what's going to happen. So they say, if anybody knows where Jesus is, tell us so that we can kill him. But of course, in verse 19, they say, you see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. We said, hey, if you know where Jesus is, tell us. Okay, Jesus is in plain sight, finally, now that he's coming to Jerusalem. And millions of people are gathered around him, and they're going after Jesus. But what's the difference between the Pharisees and the people? Nothing. There's no difference. The Pharisees have expectations towards Jesus. The Pharisees have confusions about Jesus. The Pharisees have curiosity about Jesus. Oh, wait, there is one big difference, though, between the people and the Pharisees. The people are going after Jesus. What are the Pharisees doing? They're staying back. They're staying behind. It's not that they don't have expectations, confusions, or curiosities. It's that they aren't bringing them to Jesus. They aren't bringing themselves to Jesus. Now, we see at times when they do go to confront Jesus and talk to Jesus, but they're not going to him. They're trying to win arguments against him and bring other people away from Jesus. 
They're not bringing themselves towards Jesus. And that is the huge difference. These crowds are going towards Jesus. They're going after Jesus. They're bringing all of themselves, all of their confusion, all of their expectations, and all of their curiosity to Jesus. And we can do the same thing. We can bring all of ourselves to Jesus. Why? Why can we do that? Because Jesus brought all of himself to us. Because Jesus brought all of himself to us, we can go after Jesus with all of ourselves. And how do we know that Jesus brought all of himself to us? Because he gave up all of himself on the cross. He gave up his own life on the cross, not just part of him, all of himself. He gave to us. He endured the weight of the cross, which nobody else could do. Yes, other people could be crucified, but nobody could else could become our sin on the cross. Nobody could take our sin on the cross. Nobody could bear the burden that Jesus took on when he entered the cross. So if Jesus could bear the weight of the cross, why would you think that he could not bear the weight of your expectations, your confusions, and your curiosities? Jesus can handle all of that. Bring all of that to him. He can handle it. He can take it. He wants you to bring it to him. He invites you to. Jesus didn't run away when they all came towards him with that. No, he allowed them to come towards him. And not only that, he came towards them first. Jesus is coming to us and we don't have to say, well, I have too great of expectations, so many curiosities, I'm confused. I don't totally understand it. Don't wait till you totally understand everything because then you'll wait forever. You'll never totally understand everything. You're always going to have expectations and confusions and curiosities, but bring them to Jesus He can take all of that. He enters your expectations. Why? So that he can give you hope. Jesus, he enters your confusions. Why? So that he can give you understanding. And Jesus, he enters into your curiosity so that he can give you good News and, and not only that, they didn't realize this at the time, but Jesus enters into your cross. Why? So that he can give you life and life to the fullest. Life that can only be found in him. This is the good news of Easter and this is the good news that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And this is the good news that we celebrate every day. And this good news is that because your king has come, you can go after your king. What the Pharisees said in verse 19, the world has gone after him, is still true today. It can still be true of us, whether you know him or not. Even if you do know him, and if you are a believer and you've surrendered everything to him, you've trusted him, you put your faith in him, you can go after him. Not just in the past, but today and in the future. 
because he has gone after you because he loves you. And we see that most clearly because he could have stayed on the perimeter of Jerusalem, but for you, he rode in knowing that he was going to Jerusalem to face the cross, but also knowing that he was going to be buried. But the good news is that he would not be buried for more than three days. He would leave the tomb, not to die again, but to live forever. And the Bible says he is the first fruits. That means he's the first out of many. We also follow Jesus out of that empty tomb, but only because Jesus died on our cross so that we could come out of his tomb. Because our king has come, we can be saved now. We can also cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Let's pray. God, we don't want to take Easter season for granted, but we want to really slow down to think about what it means to be resurrected. God, we thank you so much that we can have life and life to the fullest in you. God, for me, I don't even really like to think about my life before I put my faith in you because life is so much better. I have a peace in my life and a gratitude and a joy that nothing ever came close to before knowing you, God. And I thank you so much that you didn't just stay on the perimeter of earth, but you came in, you entered in. Why? So that you could save us, so that you could save now. And God, we also wave our palm branches and say, you have the victory and you are the king. God, I pray that we would wave our palm branches forever, but that we would focus on what it means for you to enter in to our lives. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't run away, but that we would go forward and towards you and go after you because you have gone after us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.